Welcome to Built for Life, the podcast dedicated to socially conscious property professionals who believe the future can be better than the present and your property decisions make it so. So to all of the innovators, this podcast will give you behind the scenes access to industry leading experts and researchers on how they think, create, analyze and deliver the best buildings in the world extracting their key advice, information, and considerations that you can apply to your personal and professional life. This is Adam Hines with my co-host, Jordan Ralph. Welcome to the Built for Life podcast. A huge welcome to the show, Senor James. Welcome, James. Hi, guys. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today, mate. And today we're going to dive into the topic of how to use community engagement to increase profits and have happier residents for longer. And that title is not a joke because sometimes in the industry, community engagement can be seen as a bit of a tick box exercise just to get Uh, development through planning where the least amount of effort to engage the community or customers is made. However, James's approach at Urban Symbiotics is completely different, which is why we've got him on the show as accurate customer engagement. And the key word there is customer is one of, if not the most important aspects to a financially and socially successful development because it's really at this stage that you get to understand exactly what your target customers want, not what you think they want, what they want and what they are willing to pay their hard-earned money for to improve their own quality of life. So by understanding exactly what your customers want, property providers can drastically improve the health and well-being and satisfaction of the resident customers and as a result, increased demand for buildings, thus improving long-term operational and financial performance. So that whole process and approach really is a win-win, which is exactly what we're looking to do every time we deliver a building. So James, let's just dive straight into it. And could you tell us a bit about your backgrounds and experiences in other industries and how that sort of laid the foundation to teach the importance of accurate customer community engagement? Yes. yes. So, uh, if, if I give you a rundown to um, how we got where, where I am, um, keep it brief. Um, but basically, uh, trained as a product designer at Coventry University and qualified with a master's. Um, and then um, started working in, in the Netherlands for Dutch Design Institute. Um, so it was, it was really there working on products for Philips and Nike, um, consumer consumer products. It was really there where we, I sort of understood the importance of sort of a user-centric design approach, especially within the sort of consumer product world. Um, so we'd be running focus groups, we'd be looking at demographic studies, and all these um, would be informing the design process from, you know, from the very early, you know, brief formulation right right the way through to, you know, an evaluation of a final product. So, you know, that was a really important learning step for me and actually, you know, led to, you know, what we're doing now. Um, so when I returned back to London, I started to move into the built environment sector. So we, I started working on um, brands and communication strategies. Um, which was great. I really enjoyed it. But what I was finding was that actually, you know, this experience I'd had within the within the sort of consumer product world, um, with regards to the design process, um, you know, wasn't really reflected within the built environment sector. So what I was doing is, you know, working on branding and strategic communications is I was retrofitting you know, brands where, you know, I'd gone into the the, the demographic studies of the user base. Um, and actually, it turned out that the environments that were being designed, you know, hadn't fully, you know, thought about this user base. So, you know, is there I'm thinking, oh, actually, you know, this kind of user centric approach is sort of lacking within within this sector. And that's when I started working with um, Stephanie, the other co-founder of Urban Symbiotics. And we started to sort of, you know, evaluate, you know, how we can bring the user um, or the community back in back into the design process, you know, at the point of brief formulation and you know that's where we are today sorry to jump in there I just, right. i'm really interested by your what 
what you had as your experience in in um, product development world, actual products, and it seems sort of eminently sensible and, and obvious that those things happen. What what sort of process did you go through? I mean, it's interesting to know what what you experienced and yeah, what so you were running in that world. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, initially at the point of brief formulation, you'd be looking at you know a lot of market research data, but this is actually through you know focus groups, surveys. Um, you know, where people are actually paid to participate and give time and, 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 and quality information. Um, you know, from that brief, you then start working with concepts and these concepts would be evaluated, you know, by by user groups, you know, who'd come in, they'd sit with they'd sit with the product for a day, they'd evaluate it, you'd discuss what was working, what wasn't working. That could be anything from, you know, function, form, materials, packaging, brand you know is this holistic look at the product from a user perspective um and you had all this user information that was that was supporting the design process all the way through so as a sort of product designer you weren't you weren't necessarily you know trained to think well actually i know the user it was like actually go and find out what the user wants and then use your design skills to you know to deliver a product um that meets the sort of market need whereas sort of when we crossed over into the sort of, you know built environment it seemed very much there's this sort of a bit of a disconnect, especially when you go up into larger developments, this sort of disconnect between, you know, the user of the community, you know, and the designer and the, you know, the designer sort of making assumptions, you know, about different different user groups. And interestingly, when you, you stepped into the built environment sector and you sort of looked at it through a different um, perspective from where you had come from, what what's your take on the current um engagement or what was your take on the engagement um process yes yeah, so yeah, so i think you know as a, as a sort of standard sort of process i mean you know i was quite i was quite sort of shocked that you know a lot a lot of the community engagement wasn't really happening until consultation stage um which was where you know the, the thing had already been designed and uh, you know they're showing the community you know this is what's coming what do you think um, you know, so it wasn't that sort of brief formulation and the carrying through of the user information on that journey. You know, and even if you look at the sort of REBA stages, they're not really sort of promoting stakeholder engagement mm. until phase two, which is the, you know, um, you know, concept stages. So I was thinking, you know, the user's missing at the beginning. You know, the most important part of any design program is the brief. Yeah, it's not right. The end project's not going to be right. So, you know that 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 real insight from the from the user or from the community needs to be in, you know, at the beginning. Do you think there's a reason why that's not been considered? I mean, in, in historically, I mean, Adam, we've we've done developments where we were acting as development manager and engaging in this process, and and even you and I didn't really pay too much attention to it. We saw it as a as a route to just tick the box to get to planning. Do you think? I mean, that's yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll even add, add to that. I remember this, this is sort of when we, we first started out um, in, in the property world, but we almost went in with the approach that, I don't want to say the traditionalist approach, but I remember we went to community engagement events almost hoping that people wouldn't come because we didn't want negative uh, interactions or people objecting, and it was that was sort of our approach. <laughs> how, how, how can we get through this process unscathed as opposed to, which your approach, which is the complete opposite, is how do we extract as much information from this process to have a better product with a better outcome? Yeah, and I think I think I think I think a lot of it is because you know it's just the way it's always been done. Um, and if you, if you compare, say for instance, the the uh, and, and the the way that con- if you compare consumer product design to um, uh, design of the built environment, for instance, if you if I design a product that doesn't meet the user's needs, I won't sell any and my business will go bust. So what's happened is basically the consumer product world has ramped up and evolved its its user-centric design process, knowing that, you know, to survive and, and to make profit, you need to offer that. Whereas, you know, design for the built environment has been around, you know, hundreds of years and it hasn't had that necessity to evolve a user-centric approach as much because essentially you know there's always been demand for you know uh, housing commercial space um, building so you haven't had that user-centric hasn't necessarily had to drive 
um, that process. So I think, you know, I don't think, you know, anything other than, you know, it, it, that's the way it's been um, for that, you know, for this amount of time. But I think that's, you know, now we can start to sort of blend the two environments together. Yeah, no, I think it's it's um, it's a very revolutionary approach and, and obvious in some respects, isn't it? When you think mm. about it, but no one really looks at it in that in that context. So interesting, James, what's the um, in terms of like the current approach? What what is the process with the current approach that, that most take or go through? It's useful just to outline what that is, really, just to yes, understand I mean, that. Yeah. So using a sort of broad broad brush um it's you know it's often you know your your sort of brief formulation as a designer you know research into you know the context of the project um along with the you know being fed requirements from the client um concept development and then into consultation um and then consultation really is that first point of contact um with the user or user group and the shortcomings that come with that i mean we had a mention from, yeah. from our own experiences the the reaction that, that we we took and it, i mean is that typical in yeah, the current process do you think, so, do you so, think? so james just start, just to jump in there so that more on what from your experience coming from another industry and then you've come into the property industry and sort of witnessed that the community engagement, customer engagement process, there are a lot of shortcomings. What are, what are some of the, I suppose, issues and, and failings that you've witnessed as a result of how it's sort of done across the industry? Yes, I think I think the first one is that you guys have touched on. You know, if you're not showing a user group or a community anything and they haven't been involved until the point where, you know, you have this one touch point when the design is done, you know, it's a shock. It's, it comes as a shock. It doesn't matter what the design is, really. You know, it's going to come as a shock. You're going to have loads of questions. You're going to have people who don't want, you know, you, you haven't had time to bring the community along. So it's, you know, it's almost like a bit of a, you know, slap in the face. And, you know, just just straight off the bat, you know, here it is. Um, the, other, the other thing is, you know, a consultation, in those kind of consultation events is you're probably going to only have people turn up that essentially have the time to turn up and are aware that your event is on and they want to you know object to community so at least to a certain demographic normally only only really attend those events and they are going to be the most vocal um you know often you know retirees um, you know, vested interest in their community. So, you, you, you know, at those kind of events, you're really not getting um, a sort of a full community opinion either. You know, the, so, you know, the, 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 the single working parent, you know, probably doesn't have time to turn up to those events, has got more to worry about than, you know, an apartment block, you know, being built, you know, three streets over. So, you know, they're not necessarily representative of the community either. So you kind of got this sort of double whammy of, only sort of alienated, you know, some of the community turning up to, you know, evaluate your 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 concept for the first time. So, you know, you will get objections. It, it's not, not normally a very pleasant experience. Um, and, you know, that's something we, we, we're sort of addressing and seeing huge changes in. Sorry, I had I had muted myself and <laughs> started talking and realised oh, I need to hit that button. <laughs> so, um, James, that's that's really helpful to to get an understanding of what the sort of typical issues are, and and it's it's funny how your approach is so different to just when I'm thinking back to when I sort of first got into the property industry, and my experiences were exactly what you have just outlined is that we would go to community engagement events and you'd just be fearful of who was going to turn up and you'd just be, before the event, you'd be sitting there stressed thinking, oh my God, who's going to turn up? I, ho I hope I hope no one got the flyer so no one comes. Um, it's just a complete, your approach is just a completely different um, mindset towards the whole event and the whole engagement process. And I really like that. It's, it's a sort of value add as opposed to a, you know, whatever the exact opposite of a value add is. So what, what I'm what I'm curious, James, is Sorry, to I'm understand. 
Yeah, probably the most important factor is though the, the yeah if we ignore the sort of in, in the engagement process it's the impact it has on the actual final design um not having included the user in the process until point of consultation you know it's the design isn't as good as it could be had you have included the user group or the consumer or the customer from the initial process and i think that's that's the biggest that's the biggest issue with the current with the current process and you, you, you know you see it all the time you know you'll see you know even just looking at the number of male and female toilets it's you know you'll see a huge queue outside the women's and you know the men's one empty but that's you know if it, one engagement would have solved that would have solved that issue you know one conversation <laughs> so yeah you know, i think it's, it's design you know the impact it has on the final design i think is probably the most limiting factor that that kind of process has yeah no that's makes complete sense so how, how when urban symbiotics approach this um how are you doing this differently to to the rest of the industry sort of are you targeting to try and get more people from the community to come to the events or are you are you trying to target sort of harder to reach people? What's your sort of process? Yeah, so the, so the process that we have, a simple one, it's basically, uh, you know, focusing, you know, using the user to help them design a better product or, um, you know, for themselves, essentially, getting them to advise us a lot, a lot you know, a lot like what's done within the, the consumer product sector. So what we do first is, you know, you need to engage with the user to form a brief, you know, so right from sort of Reba, Reba stage zero and Reba stage one, you know, we'll be, we'll be doing a stage which we essentially call discovery, which is essentially engaging with the user group to understand, you know, for them to deliver insight into the brief formulation. So it'll be understanding what their concerns are, understanding what their aspirations are, and also getting them to feed into the process in valuable local context, um, which I think is also really important. And this really does help you, you know, first of all, it's your first touch point. Secondly, um, they're informing your brief. And, and thirdly, you know, a lot, a lot of people just like to be listened to. You know they like to have their voice heard and this is this is the very first bit where you're starting to build a relationship between the design team the client and 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 the user group so it happens right at the very beginning before the briefs even formed we then move on to um, just to jump in there james so how would you actually go about that let's just say for example you were doing a, a build to rent building how how would you go about sort of seeking that end user would would this would you be putting flyers out to the public to to get people to come and meet you or would you be actually just going to the streets and trying to trying to engage with people what would you actually do here yeah so first of all we'd understand um who the user was so if it was um if it was say for instance a local master plan we'd be looking to engage with the whole community in which case we do um, a demographic study, which would which would basically highlight all the different demographics within that community, and we would then put together a bespoke strategy on how we engage with that community and ensuring that it's a representative engagement process. So, you know, not not all you know one demographic group, but an engagement process that represents the full demographic um, representation. And in the past. We've done that through using community influencers. So, for instance, you can look within a community, and each 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 demographic sector will have, um, you know, community groups and community influencers. And if you engage with those, they can then disseminate your information to their wider representative groups. And that happens through mail outs, through um, workshops. Uh, interviews, one-on-one -on -one interviews, they can happen on the street or or, or online. Um, the other methods we use is um, focus groups, and these are these are paid for focus groups. So we actually curate um, a focus group um, participants that represent the user group, and we'll actually incentivize their participation. Um, I remember I once mentioned this at um, an event once, and I thought, you know, everyone got their pitchforks out and said, oh, you know, you can't pay for, you can't pay for people to participate um, 
<laughs> for their time in the, within the built environment. But I mean, this is exactly what happens, you know, in the product design world um, with with their focus groups. And I think it transitions nicely. You know, why should someone um, give up an afternoon to give you, you know, really in depth information and expect to do that for free? Um, it really doesn't yeah. limit, limit 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 the amount of people that are actually willing to participate. Um, so and yeah, how, how much would you would you traditionally need to pay to encourage people to come? Well, what we normally do is we normally run we'll run like a two hour focus group and we'll say, look, you know, if you want to participate, fill out this survey, participate in the focus group. Um, oh, and one thing we normally do is call round before we have a focus group, which is really quite interesting. So we'll 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 call we'll call the participant, run through their um, fears and aspirations, concerns local context prior to the focus group we'll then um, offer them 20 20 pound amazon voucher to participate for an hour and a half which is which is you know it's a reasonable sort of payoff and uh, most people accept it um and then from from those pre-phone calls that actually informs that hour and a half focus group making it really really interesting because essentially we're then feeding back to them and said well this is you know this is what you've said let's dig down deeper into these these items, but also it means that you've got this sort of inclusive approach. So anyone who doesn't really want to speak up in the focus group has already aired some of their fears and aspirations prior to that on the phone call. And you've also started to build a relationship with these people. So when the, when you have this sort of focus group, it's, it's sort of much more jovial, you know everybody by name, you've spoken to them, you know, it's quite a nice process. And James, I guess the, just thinking about the timings of, of all of this, that inherently the the way in which it's done at the minute is you're critiquing something which is pretty advanced and you're just about to go to planning on and the business yeah. case has been established, which is why you don't want the comments because you don't want to change it because you're so yeah. far. I guess when this this approach, any tweaks and changes are, you can absorb all of them pretty much in, in this time frame because you're not yeah. at the advanced stage. And that's where I suppose some of the friction may lie. So do you find when you're at this early stage, you are making some pretty good changes but they're all relevant and it's less contentious with the client because I suppose for them that's the key bit isn't it is they want to create a scheme which is going to work for them at the back end of, of yeah. you know what whether it's being sold or rented and I guess yeah. all of these discussions are just helping further enhance that process aren't they yeah so, yeah so the first the first stage which is the brief formulation where so we just be talking to users and um community groups is, is really does inform the brief but they once you once you've then put together the brief and the client's part of this process as well so you, you're starting to tie together the user and the client so they're starting to see things come out of the user group that they hadn't ever realized things they'd never really understood before um yeah. so they're you know you're starting to you're starting to develop this really sort of tight tight knit um user group as you move forwards so then in the second stage what we do is once we formulated the brief we then show that back to the user group or the community and say well look guys you know these are your fears and aspirations you know that you brought to us in this first stage here's the brief we put together based on that and they can clearly see how they've influenced the brief so they're starting to become more connected with the project so they're like, oh, actually you know these guys are actually listening to me and we've actually inputted into the brief for this project um and you know, in in an ideal world, they'd you know it, they'd be able to influence everything. But you know, in reality, sometimes there are certain things they can't influence, which you explain at this point. You say, well, you know, we've we've brought these things from you know what you said into the brief, but unfortunately, we can't change these bits. But most people come along with that happy that they're you know they're seeing this sort of contribution. So then the next stage yeah. is this participation. So you then say, well, actually, you know, how do we solve some of your 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 problems and how how can we maximize your aspirations and that's when you sort of pair the design team with the user group and they work together to sort of formulate you know the answers to these briefs the concepts to these briefs so actually by the time you get to consultation which we sort of call this validation stage you know the community have helped or the user group have helped inform the brief they've helped you develop the concepts they're now validating, you know, a process that they've been involved in. So there's no shock, you know, there's not going to be any shocks to them. You know, so at consultation, they know what's coming because they've helped you develop it. And they know which bit, you know, they know that it works because they've told you, you know, how, how, how it can work. So actually, you know, consultation stage, it should be a celebration where you've actually built local champions, you know, who are fully invested yeah. in, 
in 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 the sort of project that you're developing you know along with a happy client uh you know a happy client who's been part of it and can actually sort of witness this witness this sort of process so it's a catch-up at consultation isn't it like catching up with yeah, people yeah, you planning who have yeah. a drink and look what we've achieved yeah rather yes, than yeah, yeah. please don't please don't come and please don't look at it yeah yeah and theoretically james going through this process would would technically help your application go through planning easier would you say that's the case yeah well you're not you're not getting you're not you're not getting you're not getting the objective first of all like you know your your your, your statement of community involvement you know is 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 impressive because you know they've been involved from the very beginning so it's very difficult to argue against anything like that secondly you know you've you've got the you've got you've got community you've got community on board and you know if you uh, they're powerful players so you know it does it you know definitely sort of supports your your application obviously it still comes down to you know the planners making making that decision but i mean you know you're putting a best case you know best case best case forward plus you know it's very hard to argue certain things if the community have already fed into that process you know so it's very hard to say oh this wouldn't work because of x y and z well yeah actually will because we've we've sought community consultation they've actually told us this will work and this is a problem you know so you've actually got the real in-depth knowledge on your side mm. local context and how much would you expect the appointed architect to be involved with this engagement? Because I imagine there'd be so many aspects that would benefit them in their design process. Would, would you expect them to be quite heavily involved with you at these sort of focus groups? Or is this something that you would generally yeah. just report to them at the end? No, I think ideally, ideally the engagement process and the design process are, you know, one and the, one and the same. And I think it's really handy to have the architect through, you know, uh, take part in through, you know, throughout the entire process. Um, and obviously, if we're if, if we've been commissioned for the design, it's like this integral holistic approach. But if we, you know, when we've been commissioned just on the engagement front, um, what we found really useful is, you know, try and bring the architect in as much as they can. You know, being present is really helpful. But also, you know, the outputs from these these events often sometimes when you do community engagement, you do a survey, you know, you'll get back loads of data. You know, see so architects sitting there and it's got, you know, 40 page document full of data and it's yeah, it's not great. So, you know, difficult to to sort of absorb the feeling and you know the concepts that were coming out of the you know the focus groups and things. So what we try and do at that point is we'll wrap the data within specific design briefs. So that when we pass that information over to the architect, they're not looking at pages of numbers. They're actually looking at micro design briefs based on based on the engagement process, which we found really helps. You know, you know, and they some of them might even you know end with a question, but you know, writing that in the form of micro design briefs really helps the information go from the engagement process, you know, through into the design 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 process. Mm. And and Jordan, obviously your background, you've done a lot of um, appointments and contracts. Would you do you think that would be something that would be sensible for clients and other QSs um, to integrate into appointments, is to ensure that architects are involved in that process and that's part of their services? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it's it's definitely something that we we would advocate is is done. I think the the, the crucial element is that it isn't seen as a as a bolt on. It's seen as just integral to to the services to to inform that that brief i know james and we've spoken before about um projects and and i think it's an office fit out one initially was to say well you need to understand what the local community wants from a building which will help meet their covid aspirations for example and what what yeah. concerns and fears they have to inform that brief don't just assume and i think it's getting to the point where all parties understand that this is such an integral part of it um, and there's probably a mindset shift as well. Yeah. Um, I think in saying to a client, you need to do a round of engagement before we start this. I think in, immediately in their mind, they would think, well, have we got time for that? How long would it take? You normally probably want to just want to jump straight in pen to paper and start drawing something. And I think it's, um, yeah, it's definitely something that 
that we would advocate and actually putting into an appointment is that you have to demonstrate a round of engagement locally um, or regionally to, to what how your design is going to meet those needs would be would be sensible I think that's that's definitely yeah something we would that, for. yeah that was the hardest thing when we you know when we first sort of established open symbiotics was you know this mindset within the design sector of um within the built environment sector of you know t tell me what it's going to look like you know before you've done any engagement it's you know what what's what's my building going to look like what's it going to be um you know me and steph are sitting there you know saying well actually we don't know what it's going to look like and we don't know what it's going to be because we're not you know we're not your user group so we need to go to them to find out what they want or need <laughs> After yeah. lost us, uh, you know, quite a few, quite a few clients. But then the ones that the ones that sort of understood the process and the value that it brings, you know, you know, they 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 benefit from it. And I think, you know, now we're starting to build up, you know, case studies and portfolio that sort of demonstrates that it works well. I think it's you know it's become a lot easier. Which I think is actually an important point is that you guys are are um, architects as well. I mean, that's that's. A big part of your business is your designers, your architects. So you understand the importance of it. It's not as though you're a disconnect from the design process. You're, you're no. fundamentally within that. So that's crucial. You're, you're understanding that. Interestingly, you said about some clients have sort of said, "Oh, no." Just quickly, what's what's been? The, do you think the reaction? Why is that the case? That some? I think I think it, you know it goes, it goes back to the you know the, the conversation we had at the beginning where you know it's it's, it's sort of a, it's, it's a sector sort of steeped in history and you know the, the way things are done are the way things are done. So you know if if, if some if, if you're commissioning an architect on day one, you want to hear what their ideas are for the final product. Yeah. You know so when you turn up and go well actually you know unless you're designing for yourself or your demographic you know we take the approach of we we don't actually know you know we don't know and our job you know our job is to go and find out and engage with your user group you know to to um to find out you know what it needs to be you know how it needs to work what it needs to do um you know which is sort of prevalent i think we discuss later about some of the the projects we've been on but um it was on a, a student student project you know and I, I like to think i'm pretty young and cool but you know it turned out i'm not <laughs> don't really know what young people want but that that was the sort of eye-opener moment that sort of said us actually unless unless i'm designing for myself or you know my very specific demographic group you know, I, I I'm not going to make assumptions. You know, I'm going to go and find out. And I think that's that was the, that was the hard sell because <laughs> essentially, you know, you've got clients paying for you know faith, you know leap of faith um, that your process works, which is very quite hard at the beginning. <laughs> and it's quite it's quite interesting that that belief is so embedded because that's potentially one of the greatest shortcomings of the industry of people designing from an assumption or an opinion, and they have absolutely no idea whether that is going yeah. to be successful for that the target customer because they aren't the target customer in most instances. No. So it's quite quite amazing that that people are, are willing to invest such large sums of money on the back of designers' assumptions or opinions when they're not necessarily always correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, James, could, could we just sort of segue into some, I suppose, real life case studies of where this approach has really paid dividends from either a, a better or achieving a better planning outcome? Um, I don't know, may, maybe turning a community that was once negative into a, a community of champions who are supporting it or, or alternatively how you've developed, um, you know, I suppose, use this process to deliver a better quality building than what the client had initially expected. So is it right just to cover those sort of two two aspects? Yeah. yeah. So I think if we if we go back to the the the, the student student uh, dorm example, I think that's a really nice one. Um, and basically, I think I think there's this sort of misconception, you know, community engagement, you know, like like you mentioned before, is often assumed to be this sort of tick box exercise. You know, get it, get it done. You know, engage the community. Hopefully, they'll be on side, and you know, we can get through. Um, but actually, um, what's what's really quite interesting about it is, you know, it can be a win all round. 
it doesn't have to be a, oh the more we spend on community engagement the more we'll sort of lose funds in you know developing that it can actually be a double win for you know for everybody both the user the client and you know the the, the design itself so um you know one project that springs to mind is the um, student-centric project um basically um we had a client who was very sort of straightforward um wanted to develop um a new um private uh student uh, rental accommodation um business um the architect he commissioned actually said well look you know I, I want i want the brief to be defined further um you know why don't you speak to these guys because they you know they've got a you know good engagement program um so basically he came to us and at the end of the day um, you know, he's very honest. He said, look, you know, all I want to do is maximize my return on my investment, you know, and by doing that, um, you know, how can, how can I do that through, you know, through design? So we said, well, actually, you know, to, to do that, you need to offer, you know, a, a top of the market product. You need to offer a best student product offering. You know, we can help you identify what that is using our engagement process. And, you know, we went, as described sort of previous, we sort of went through this insight, participation and validation process. But what was really interesting, you know, like I said before, I thought, you know, I, I harked back to my student days and, you know, would make assumptions. But actually, when you start engaging with, you know, 18 year olds now, you know, very different people, very different to how I was as a student. And, and as such, if I'd have designed based upon my assumptions, you know the, the 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 final product wouldn't have been anywhere near as good um and that was the sort of you know eye opener to us that actually yes this this does work so basically with the student with the student dorm um what the concepts that came out was this 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 overarching concept of supported independence you know for, so from this transition stage so the the engagement basically showed that they wanted this sort of supported independence you know they're leaving home and all the concepts that we put into this 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 building or this environment were based around all came back to this supported independence approach which the engagement informed us of so it was things like you know there was an employment policy so we said okay if you're going to employ anybody within these buildings employ a student firstly you'll be supporting their independence by giving them you know paying them for their work secondly you'll be improving your customer service because essentially they'll know your their building better than anyone else and thirdly um you know you can keep your costs low because you know you're, you're paying students they're happy to be on a lower wage um than other employees so it was it was a win across 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 the board and the same with same with the fit out even things like fit out i mean really all they wanted was super fast super fast internet they didn't care about as much about the fit and finish of the interiors so you know we specified that you know the interiors should be kept you know almost you know as as simple as possible and that any additional money should be invested into infrastructure well you know this this sort of saved him money on you know on the interior fit out and you know maximize the product in line with his with his user group so James, on, on that is um is really yeah. interesting in that when you went through that process was i mean typically it would be designed and you'd cost it and you go right that's what we're going to do and i guess what you just said there is it really rationalized the budget of the property and, and and what that was delivered did was there an eventual would you say uh comparable cost saving as a result of doing this i mean was well, money with, saved with, in the build with, or yeah with all with all with all those with all if you if you sort of tallied up all those kind of um approaches mm. um not just in um building fit out but also in building operation and um, there was a reduction of there's a forecasted reduction of about 20 percent both in both wow. the building and mm. the operational costs and that's just by purely understanding it exactly that's purely what the brief so, is yes yeah, so yeah. yeah the fit out we ran a focus group on the interiors and you know 
showing the pictures of interiors and interiors and interiors. And from that, we were able to, you know, they're so actually, you know, this is fine, this is fine, this is fine. And they, you know, you were looking at the most basic fit-outs. Yeah. Yet when we had a focus group based on uh, facilities and infrastructure, you know, internet was a must. So, I mean, yeah. you can see, you know, high-speed internet was a must. So you can see you're starting to build this picture of the building based on them so that when you bring this product to market, they basically helped you sit top of the market. Yeah, that's um, no, really interesting. Yeah, and the the other thing we the other thing we put together is we said actually what you should do is continue this level of 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 insight and to help you sort of grow grow the business and maintain your sort of um, top of the market position. You know, have um have a student board. You know, employ mm-hmm. a student board. To actually continue this relationship that we sort of built up over this engagement process you know so the client came along with us and you know absolutely you know sold on the the benefits of this program um but you know we weren't just going to walk away we wanted to leave him so that he can continue that so that as this as the student demographic changes over time they can continue to feed into his business and, and he could adapt and change ahead of the market so how often was that picked up? Is that every couple couple of months, six months, or something? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was yeah. it, it was the, the, the we recommended that the student board meet monthly. Um, they also helped um, programming of flexible spaces. So I think that's one thing that often gets overlooked. In modern, you know, they put in a flexible space, but then they leave no one to program it. Whereas right. the space is only as successful as the programming. <laughs> you know, so little things like that I think are really important as well. And the student board sort of took that on along with sort of staffing and, and those kind of things. So it sort of really sort of ran this, ran their sort of dorm and, you know, fed back to the client any sort of needs for change. Yeah. No, it's, it's. I mean, we say it most of the time to, to guests on our podcast and what they're saying is it sounds obvious once you explain it. And it sounds yeah. such a an obvious thing to to do um it is just a mindset thing isn't it in both in terms of time and cost and thinking am i actually going to save myself anything by engaging and from my perspective when you look in you'd say well asking people what they want in a building is only going to increase your cost because they're going to tell you all the things that they want but that's flipping it on its head it's actually you're you're rationalizing what they do want and and therefore you can start discounting the things that aren't going to have a benefit we look at it from a well-being perspective using our framework to say well we know these are the things that will have a, a positive influence on someone's well-being couple that with some of the other aspects of, of a development you start to really build a I suppose a robust and and certain brief as well don't you I mean the whole yeah. reason you do this is when we're in property is you're trying to create a building which people want to be in and it is going to be a successful building operationally and and also financially whether it's sell or rent so on this case did your client experience a a better uptake in in demand as a result of of that marketing benefits to it well yeah that was the bit i was you reminded me of that i mean that took us by surprise and was sort of like um you know an added added bonus that we didn't necessarily foresee because they've been involved in this process and saw the, the the project develop essentially you know the student body then started using their, uh, you know, social media feeds to almost pre-market the development wow. you know, okay. to their peers within their user groups. I mean, you know, there's there's no better marketing than, than sort of uh, word of mouth or or, or 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 trusted, you know, trusted associations. So, you know, having other 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 members of that sort of user group promoting it, you know, free of free will, mm. uh, yeah, just amazing, you know, just you know it, we're like oh wow you know it's, it's, it's great and, and i know, guess that would continue it's fantastic wouldn't it as well it'd continue yeah. if you're doing these regular touch points so it's almost like post-occupancy evaluation but but more real time in terms yeah. of how that's feeding in so mm, interesting that's quite an amazing sort of hidden benefit one of the things by just taking this approach is like the surprises that come up that you don't expect. And I think that's quite amazing that just by including them, they actually began to to share this on social media and, and sell the site for you. And I, I'm sure you guys probably didn't expect it to go that far. So that's quite an amazing surprise to, to 
be the beneficiary of like the client must have been pretty happy with that outcome yeah it was just it just, it just showed you that that's what happens if you get a best that that's the, the the product met their needs you know this is the thing the final the final design met their met their requirements in which case you know they were really happy with it so that that's the sort of double that's the sort of double win the client's winning but not at the the you know sacrifice you know the user essentially it's that it's that sort of double win is is, is the sort of bit you always want to aim for yeah and that's that's exactly what our entire sort of business offering is based on is trying to trying to find the mutual wins where both it, it benefits both the client and the end user because if it just benefits one or the other it, it won't pay off in the long run no. um, because if you can get a mutually beneficial benefit then that's going to deliver a better quality building which performs both financially socially operationally better for a longer period of time yeah. um so yeah that, I, I completely agree that's that's um a, a really good way to sum up the benefits of early engagement with end user customers or end user residents so james i just want to uh jump mindful of time just want to jump onto the last question now and if you have any last advice for property providers or property professionals on how they should approach community or customer engagement for if they've got any upcoming developments or thing, anything like that? Yeah, I think, I think one, 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 uh, one conversation we had was really quite interesting. I think it's, and it, it stems back to the, the, the point where you said you, you were going to these church halls, not wanting people to turn up. Um, I think, if you know, as a developer, you know, if you take the approach you know, that is the sort of us and them approach, you know, it's always going to be that you're always going to have a difficult relationship with the community. It's always going to be harder. Whereas actually, you know, if you embrace engagement with the community, it you'll be surprised how much easier it then becomes. Um, one example was um, we I was chatting with a local uh, community stakeholder and he had a very good point and he was saying basically he had um, two windfall developments going on, one either side of his house. Okay, one developer never spoke to him. You know, didn't touch base with him at all. The only time they had was the, you know, the consultation, um, local church. At which point, this guy then, you know, put up objections, made life as difficult as he could for that developer. The the, the developer, the other side of his property, first day, hi. I've bought the land next year. We'll be developing it. I want to have a conversation with you throughout the throughout the design and build process. You know, want to keep you as happy as I can. You know, what? Let's start off. You know, what? 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 You know, I'm thinking of planting some trees down the down this little border of the property. What would you like? Blah blah blah. Anyway, with that developer, he didn't actually wasn't actually fussed about what the design was. He just really appreciated someone talking to him someone communicating, something sort of engaging with him, raise no objections, just let that development, you know, sort of roll on. And I think, you know, that's that's the point that, you know, is just 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 sort of engaging with people, even by the fact, even if you're giving them, you know, you, you know, they're not able to impact all of your, you know, your 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 design or just just sort of engaging and really help you make the process a lot easier for all for all parties and you know it's you know it's a good good way of developing i i think that was actually exceptionally timely point because we'd covered engaging your end user customers um to get the mutual benefit but we hadn't actually discussed just engaging neighbors of a development site because they're yeah, they're forgotten about really because they're not, they're not going to be renting the property. So why why engage with them? Because you'll get no benefit. But it's yeah, it's easy to forget about that they they can they're obviously impacted by the whole construction process and the new building going in. And yeah. even post post planning application, it's still really important to keep up that positive interaction and positive engagement. And I think that's really helpful for Jordan and I because we actually have a design team meeting this afternoon where they're just about to start demolition. Um, and I think that's definitely something that we can put forward today to say, hey, I think we need to be engaging with the neighbours, although we don't have to, uh, just to out of courtesy um, and, and maintain that open communication channel. So 
they feel part of the development the whole way through. Yeah. yeah. yeah I think it's even, it's even not just out of courtesy, it'll actually make your job a lot easier. You know, it's, it, it comes down to little things that you, you, you don't appreciate. So, for instance, say outside of your development, you have a grass bank. If you've been, you know, friendly and, and, and engaging with the next door neighbour, when he's mowing his grass bank, he'll probably sling the lawnmower across your grass bank. Do you know what I mean? All of a sudden, your place starts to look. It's little things, little things that, you, you know, intangible little things that building up a relationship with, with stakeholders, uh, community stakeholders, neighbours, um, you know, they really do make life easier, um, you know, and, and, and sort of development better. And, and the way we do it at the beginning is we, we normally map our stakeholders. So we'll map stakeholders or users um, that are going to be, you know, living in within the property, but we also map users and community that are going to be affected by the development and you'll engage with those in different ways um, and require different information back from them. Um, but yeah, no, it sounds great. Fascinating. You've, you've given us probably the gold star award for our meeting this afternoon. So I thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. We're going to, we're going to take that idea as our own. Yeah. It's our own idea. Life proven have just come up with this revolutionary engagement process. Talk, talk to your neighbor. This, this podcast will never be aired. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, James, mate, not, not that anyone's going to hear this now, but where can people find and follow you? Yeah, so, you know, from the website, which is www.urbansymbiotics.com. And is there contact details there? Yes. Yeah. There are. Okay. So straight to the website if uh, anyone wants revolutionary community customer engagement. So, James, that pretty much wraps up our, uh, our podcast for today, but that was, that was awesome. I have learned a lot, and that's completely flipped my sort of mental approach to community and customer engagement on its head, which is exactly the sort of conversations we want to be having. So thank you so much for all of your insights today. And uh, hopefully we'll have another one very soon. Thanks, James. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Built for Life podcast. If you learned something new today or found value from hearing from a different property perspective, Please comment on what you found useful as it helps us understand what you like and what you want to hear more of. And also please subscribe if you want more and most importantly, please share this video to the people in your network you believe will get the most value from the information as you are personally helping spread information and education across the industry. As they say, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. And by you watching and sharing this, you are now part of that group. And just to finish, if you would like unlimited free access to the world's best research and resources related to health, well-being and the built environment, you can subscribe to the Life Proven Library where academic research, reports and case studies are regularly added. They're then reviewed in detail and the key findings are extracted into easy to use dot points and also a brief summary video. So you don't even need to read the reports. All the heavy lifting has been done for you as you can just watch the summary. So just head to www.lifeproven.co.uk and click on the button library at the top of the page. And as always, if you have a project, an investment opportunity, or you are interested in a collaboration and would like to discuss directly, you can contact us at adam at lifeproven.co.uk.